In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Watch ye therefore, Jesus says, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. This text is the watchword of Advent. The church year begins with these words to teach us to put first things first, to train us how to rightly order our loves. Advent calls us to place the love of Christ at the center of our lives, so that we live our lives waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, as St. Paul puts it in our epistle. But what does this mean? What does it mean to wait and watch for the coming of our Lord? It might be helpful to begin by distinguishing what you might call active waiting and passive waiting. The way in which we wait for the coming of our Lord is not passive waiting. Here are some examples of what I mean by that, waiting negatively experienced. Maybe you can think of others. Waiting in a long line waiting for a flight that has been delayed, waiting in a traffic jam, waiting for the spinning wheel on your computer screen, waiting for morning after a sleepless night, waiting despairingly for death. The waiting to which Advent calls us is not like this. Rather, it's what I've called active waiting, waiting for something with eager anticipation and preparing for its arrival, like my son counting down the days to his birthday, like waiting for the birth of your child, like waiting for the arrival of someone you love very much. That said, we do often experience waiting for our Lord more negatively, don't we, as a lack of something desperately needed as when we become vividly aware of the brokenness of the world, of the damage and devastation of sin, the conflicts in the Holy Land and Ukraine, the persistence of poverty and injustice, the poverty of our politics, the pain and sickness and suffering in our own lives and the lives of our loved ones. It's when we are most aware of such suffering that we learn to long especially keenly for our Lord to come and set things right. When we cry out with the suffering church throughout time and around the world, how long, O Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Come, Lord Jesus. Notice, though, that such cries of lament are themselves a form of what I've called active waiting. To cry out, how long, O Lord, is a form of hope born of the conviction that Christ will indeed come again and make things right. It is an act of faith. One of the most powerful expressions of it is found in Psalm 130. Listen for a moment to what the psalmist says. Out of the depths I cry to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. I wait for the Lord. 
My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. More than watchmen for the morning. That image brings us back to our Lord's call in the gospel to keep watch. Let's hear what he says again. The Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Look again at the text. There are three closely synonymous words in play. So in verse 33, there's a verb that's translated take heed, and then the next word translated watch, which gives a sense of sleeping with one eye open, as it were. And then yet another word translated watch in the remaining verses. They're all, as I say, closely synonymous, and they carry the sense of watchfulness and wakefulness, and more metaphorically, vigilance, diligence, attentiveness, alertness. All three words contrast starkly with a state of being asleep. Watch ye, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, Jesus says. Sleeping here stands for more than literal sleep, of course. Our Lord is not asking us to be insomniacs, is he? Like the vocabulary of wakefulness, there's a more metaphorical sense at play. The disciples of Jesus are not to be found sleeping, that is, not to be found, as it were, asleep at the wheel, negligent of their duties, distracted or dissolute, full of complacence or apathy or sloth. They are not, in short, to be unprepared and unready for their master's return. Notice that in the parable there are many servants who are each given their respective work, just as each of us is given our respective duties in our lives. But the focus is on one of those servants, namely the porter, that is to say the doorkeeper, the watchman. His work to keep watch is an especially clear sign of a central task in every Christian vocation. And our Lord sets before us the figure of the watchman to call us each to live our whole lives with the same vigilance, the same diligence against danger, the same alertness that every good watchman would exhibit. Our Lord is asking us, as it were, to think of ourselves as a watchman on the wall of a city, or as a sentry on patrol at night on the front line. He says to us, look to it, stay awake, keep watch, or, as he says elsewhere, take every thought captive. The figure of the watchman suggests the seriousness and the consequence of the Christian life. The work of a watchman is very often a matter of life and death. 
A watchman cannot afford to be complacent. Neither can you, and neither can I. In one of his books, Thomas Merton, the great Trappist monk, has a beautiful epilogue called Firewatch, July 4th, 1952. In it, Merton narrates an evening he served on Firewatch in his monastery, uh, the Abbey of Gethsemane near Bardstown, Kentucky. And he describes how, as the other monks went to bed, he takes the watchmen's sneakers and flashlight and keys, as well as a mysterious, to me anyway, heavy clock that he carries on a strap over his shoulder. He starts in the pitch blackness of the cellar and works his way methodically through every passage of the monastery, through the kitchens and the refectory and the scriptorium, past the sleeping monks in their cells, down the empty hallways of the old guest house, through the mysterious shadows and sounds of the empty church, up the trembling, twisted stair into the belfry, and then out through a door that opens onto the stars, out onto the roof of the monastery, having satisfied himself, as he says, that there is no fire in the tower which would flare like a great torch and take the whole abbey up with it in 20 minutes. At the same time, Merton's narrative traces a spiritual journey in which his exploration of the monastery is also a searching of his own life, a questioning of his monastic vocation, an examination of the nooks and crannies of his soul. As he puts it, the fire watch is an examination of conscience in which your task as watchmen suddenly appears in its true light, a pretext devised by God to isolate you and to search your soul with lamps and questions in the heart of darkness. Merton's fire watch deepens our sense of what it means to keep watch. Let me put it this way. Think of yourself as a watchman, like Thomas Merton, looking for fire in his monastery, discovering God, searching your soul with lamps and questions in the night. Go on fire watch in the house of your soul. Examine your conscience. Search for exposed wires and faulty fuse boxes. Go over every aspect of your life to be sure there is no sin smoldering away, hidden in the dark. You wouldn't delay if you smelled smoke in your house, would you? The consequences of complacency to sin are far more severe. Now is the time to change your life. Repent, turn from your sin, and turn back to your Lord, who knows the secrets of every heart, to whom every one of us shall give account of himself. Make your confession. Receive the grace of absolution. As the scripture says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Say with the psalmist, search me out, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my restless thoughts. Look well whether there be any wickedness in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting.
Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. I've emphasized the seriousness and the consequence of keeping watch. And without diminishing anything that I've just said, I want to end, though, as it were, with a change of key, returning to an image of waiting and watching for the arrival of someone you love very much. We must not forget that the master for whose coming we are to remain vigilant is none other than our good Lord, who not only calls us servants, but also friends. We ought not to fear or dread his coming, but to wait and watch for our dear Lord as we would wait and watch for our most beloved. To long for and prepare for his coming as you would if you were in love. Think of the experience of being in love, how it shapes your whole life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you want and what you fear, your sorrows and your joys, all your decisions and everything you do. Just so, our Lord calls us to live our whole lives, waiting and watching for his coming, not only as vigilant servants and watchmen, but also as those who are in love with God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.